it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Of nil-nil draws, Manchester United are held by Real Sociedad but progress in the Europa League with a tasty tie against AC Milan to follow and then fail to score against Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. That result leaves United second in the Premier League and looking down rather than up. One point ahead of Leicester, four ahead of West Ham and six ahead of Chelsea, but many points behind Manchester City. It's a decent position, but it feels like yet another missed opportunity and yet another underwhelming game and performance from a United team who have rarely impressed since the turn of the year. Welcome to the Manchester United Weekly Podcast with Harry Robinson and Jack Tate. In the middle of the show, you'll get your extensive youth loan and women's roundup. After that, we'll preview games against Crystal Palace and City in the Premier League. But first, Jack, let's talk Chelsea. And as I think everyone feels, another missed opportunity and another just dispiriting display. It feels like the games against Arsenal and Liverpool, in which we easily could have taken three points and could have got a win and, and moved up in the league and secured that second spot. But in the end, it was poor passing and a lack of creativity that let us down. Yeah, 180 minutes of football against Chelsea so far this season against two different managers and 180 minutes that were completely forgettable, to be honest. I mean, you'd struggle to find any particular highlights from either of the two games. It was just a lack of of really anything in the game, to be honest. There wasn't any particular moments of of drama. There was the one moment of controversy with the, the penalty decision, which we'll come on to. But I mean, in general, it was a very tepid, boring game to watch. And I think from from United's point of view, the disappointment is in the performance, of course, in that we we definitely didn't perform to our best. But I think more to the point for me is just the fact that we we never really looked like we were ruthless enough. We never looked like getting into a position where we could take the game by the scruff of the yeah. neck and go on to win. When I think it was a, a game that was very much there for the taking for us, especially in the second half when... Chelsea, despite having a lot of the ball, really weren't creating anything at all. Yeah, yeah. It was a game about pressing rather than passing. 
And I think that was, I mean, th- that was a positive yeah. for United. We pressed well, so did Chelsea, to be honest. Um, 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 one stat that was shared was United won the ball in the final third on 11 occasions, which is the most we've done in the league this season. And in fact, the most we've ever done under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. And, and that's great, winning the ball high up the pitch, but uh, we didn't capitalise on that and our passing was poor. And, and that is maybe not entirely surprising when Bruno Fernandes isn't on particularly good form and he he had a rubbish game but also when your midfield is is Fred and Scott McTominay who can both have good games and McTominay has had quite a few of them this season as has Fred but they're they're good midfielders at winning the ball but just can't do enough with it and I mean there were other players as well and and, and we wasted chances but it felt like both teams or all of these passes were going kind of just a yard or two to the right or left of their target or weren't strong enough or, or and it, it just felt like both teams were wasting the opportunity they had. And, and obviously from our perspective, that opportunity was to widen the gap between us and Chelsea, but also just about stay within not touching distance of City, but not, I, I feel like the United players have always maintained their target of challenging for the title, even when fans have kind of given up already. But this, I think for them will be painful because it's a a missed opportunity and that gap is just unassailable now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the gap is, it's not even really worth thinking about at this point, to be honest, it's more of a distraction than anything else. But you're right in the terms of the game itself. It's, it was a weird one because often in these nil nil draws, especially in the big games, you often find that the reason why there weren't too many clear-cut opportunities being created is purely down to the final ball. You know, it's rare that over the course of 90 minutes, not one team will get themselves into a few good positions to potentially score. What I was sort of finding in, in this game was that actually it wasn't the final ball that was letting each team down. It was sort of one or two phases before they could even get to the final ball. You know, there were very, very few occasions, probably two for each team, one for United where Shaw got in down the left flank in the second half and pulled it across, uh, ended up going out to Wan-Bissaka. McTominay had a shot. And then when McTominay was on the break and he played the ball behind Rashford and James. And then for, for Chelsea, Hudson-Odoi's cross in the first half that Giroud just about missed. And then the Ziyech chance where De Gea mm. makes a good save. Really, that that was it. Other than that, the teams weren't even really getting into a position to put a final ball into the box. It was... Just one or two phases before that, there was some some okay sort of um, possession play. Teams were, especially Chelsea, were able to keep the ball relatively well. But when they tried to sort of pick up the pace of the play and actually move forward and you know have some incision into the the game, it was the quality was just severely mm. lacking. And I think ultimately it it mainly comes down to the midfield of both teams. You know, Chelsea in a similar vein to us had quite a workman like midfield in in Kovacic and Kante, whose main strengths lie in sort of eating up the ground and winning the ball back and keeping things simple on the ball as do Fred and McTominay. And, and I think both teams ultimately kind of lacked a little bit of that firepower moving forward. Yeah. We missed Paul Pogba, didn't we? I think we said this in our... Massively. In our uh, review of the Real Sociedad game, which was just released for patrons, but we talked about the Chelsea game and we said, this is going to be a game where we miss Paul Pogba. And it, it was pretty, pretty obvious, I think. Yeah, massively miss Pogba. I think we're, in, in every game, but especially in the big games, we're, we're caught, and we've talked about this before, we're caught between having a midfield that we feel can stop the opposite opposition and be dynamic in defence, 
well, just like Fred and McTominay can, and like they were against Chelsea, you know, very good at, at winning the ball, especially high up the pitch, versus a midfield that can consistently launch attacks and, and sustain possession for us, which is what we get when we play Matic and Pogba and why that is often our default midfield against teams that are going to sit back against us. The issue is that we can't, we can't do both. And when we play one of, one of those mid, midfields, we lose out almost completely on the other side of the game. If it's Matic and Pogba, we're not able to cover as much ground defensively. We're not as dynamic in defence. We can't press like we did against Chelsea. With Fred and McTominay, for all of their qualities, we just aren't able to to launch attacks quickly enough with any sort of good enough precision to, re- to really force ourselves onto the game, even on the counter-attack. So again, this game, to me, massively highlighted the need for a world-class central midfielder at United that can help with both of those issues that can simultaneously not reduce our capacity to defend, but can also improve the way that we can start attacks from deep. Yeah, and I think that's evident. I mean, the fact that we haven't scored a single goal from open play against the big six I mean, we haven't scored any goals except a Bruno Fernandes penalty, which came in a 6-1 defeat. Uh, that, that is a damning statistic. And that says things about the team as a whole and about uh, strikers finishing on certain occasions, certainly in the uh, away game to Liverpool, but also in a couple of other games. But it also says about our ability to create chances. And if you think to games against, I think particularly frustrating games against Arsenal and Chelsea in which we've drawn three of those games nil-nil and lost the other one one nil to Arsenal. The inability to create chances against two teams who who aren't City and aren't Liverpool is really disappointing. Um, and that's, it comes to a wider point about general missed opportunities, not just against Arsenal and Chelsea, even though there's two there, but also Everton, the 3-3 was uh, a missed opportunity. Liverpool, Leicester away when we gave away a, um, a late goal and, and drew 2-2. Also City at home. There's there's so many of these missed opportunities now that even had we won half of these games, which we'd drawn, we would be still in a title race instead of being... Uh, 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 just a, a kind of a runner behind that people will forget very quickly. Absolutely. I think we'll we'll look back on this season and, and really rue some of the, the opportunities that we've let slip through our hands. You know, I, I defended Solskjaer on the team quite a lot after the Anfield draw when they were getting a lot of flack from the press and that we weren't ruthless enough. We we weren't willing enough to to go for the jugular and take the three points. And I defended the team at that point because I thought actually the, the draw for us at that point in time was a, a decent result. Liverpool needed the three points more than we did. And ultimately, you you looked at our fixtures on paper following Anfield and they were favourable. And, and if you could assume that we would go on and win sort of four or five out of our next six games, that's a pretty good result. It's now turned out that in, if you include Anfield, we've won three out of our last nine Premier League games. We've dropped points in five of our last seven. You know that now that Anfield uh, draw is starting to look worse and worse. And it, I think you've then seen us go to Arsenal and put in a very similar performance where we weren't ruthless, we weren't seemingly willing to go all out to win the game. You've seen the same thing here against Chelsea, where to me in the last twenty minutes the game was there for the taking, and we couldn't do it, or, or maybe didn't do it. And I think now that. 
what you saw at Anfield becomes a little bit more worrying because it looks a little bit more like a pattern yeah. that is starting to develop in this team that we're, we're a little bit too risk averse, I think, in these big games in that once you've managed to get a handle on the game, and I understand that Solskjaer is probably a little bit scarred from the yeah, 6-1 defeat when say. we played Pogba and Matic and, and you know, tried to, to put our stamp on the game and it obviously didn't work out. So I understand why we are a little bit risk averse from, from the beginning. But, but against Chelsea in particular, they weren't offering any real kind of threat. Sure, they had a lot of the ball in the second half, but other than that one Ziyech chance, there was nothing coming from them really. And that was an opportunity for us to put our stamp on the game and we were just unable to do it. Yeah. I think what's frustrating is that, and and I guess there's some positive in this, but we've seen United do quite a few different things well this season. At times, the attack has been unstoppable. We scored nine against Southampton. We scored four against the good Real Sociedad side. Top scorers in the league. There's plenty of other examples as well. Yeah, six against Leeds. Um, but lots of examples. And at times the attack and play has been really entertaining as well. And you've thought this is a, a young attack that's really developing. At other points, the midfield has been fantastic. We've seen great performances from Tomane, from Pogba, from Fred. And at other points, the defence has been very good. And then we've got games against, like the game against Chelsea, where we start to see that United can press quite well. Not not brilliantly yet. It's You, you still don't get... You don't get that sense you do with Leeds, Liverpool and other teams who do it very well. You don't get that with United. It doesn't feel quite as organised and effective and efficient. But that's lots. we've done lots of different things well this season. The problem is, and particularly since Christmas or particularly since New Year, is we've very rarely seen more than one of those things be good in any games. Now, there's been a couple of good performances, um, against Liverpool in the Cup, against Real Sociedad, obviously against Southampton where we scored loads of goals. But we haven't seen kind of an overall good team performance in all those regards for a long time. Yeah, and it, it's it's frustrating because all the ingredients seem to be there for this United team to be special and for us to really, really show that we are a very good team as we did for you know, a, a decent chunk of the season from sort of October to December. The problem is that we haven't been able to A, string those performances together and B, we haven't been able to put those different elements on the pitch at the same time. It seems, and again, this sort of is, is similar to the, the midfield example. It seems like we almost, the way that we set ourselves up and the way that we play is is almost choosing between, right, we can either be solid defensively and not really look like conceding for most of the game or we can be brilliant going forward and look dangerous every time we we go forward. But we seem unable to do both at the moment. And that's the big frustration, I think, because you see all the elements there to make a great team, but we're just unable to to put them all on the pitch at once. And I think that's where the frustration comes throughout 2021. I looked back through our fixtures earlier after the game, and by my reckoning, I think we've put in four good performances in 2021. We've had Liverpool in the Cup, Sociedad away in the Europa League, Southampton at home and Everton at home, despite the fact that we ended up drawing the game. Out of 17 games, four performances that I would say were, were good. And you can make, you can maybe throw Aston Villa at home on, I think it was New Year's Day in there as well. So for being generous, five good performances out of 17. You know, I don't think anyone is expecting us to, 
to be Man City. You know, no one's expecting 20 wins in a row. There's a reason why that's a record for an English club. Mm. No one's expecting you to be brilliant every single week, but I think you want to you want to see it a little bit more frequently than, you know, four or five games out of 17. Yeah. Yeah. I think these results and this inability to score against the big six as well does show where United are at. Massively. And how how much quality still needs to be added. And we know, I mean, we've said this all before, we know where that quality needs to come. It, it has to be on the right wing uh, at centre-back. But most importantly, I think for me, in central yeah. midfield, all the, I think it depends. Yeah, people will have their opinions, right wing or central midfield, but those two are the key. And uh, a, a, another good centre-back that suits Harry Maguire better than Lindelof and doesn't get injured as much as by would also be brilliant. And I think, yeah, just the, the right wing in the midfield in all of these games against the big six has every time we've come out after the game and said the same thing, that that's where the, that's a, a problem that needs to be addressed. I thought Dan James was good again. Um, his defensive contributions is, is brilliant and his um, work rate, fantastic. And he put in a couple of good crosses that maybe United could have done more with, but it's, it, it's not enough. And I don't know, I guess I guess tiredness comes into it in into this run, but and we've got injuries. Cavani, we've said we miss Pod, but we also miss Cavani. The fact we couldn't play Van der Beek in midweek was a shame, but there can be more from this set of players than we're getting at the moment. And the wins against Sociedad and Liverpool um, and Southampton make it durable, but there's definitely. I think concern uh, that if this doesn't pick up again soon, you're you're thinking there's it's 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 this conflict that we've always had. Is that you can think the coaching staff are doing doing a good job, but still think that they could be doing more. And I think that's that's what we feel about this Chelsea game again. Yeah, I, th- I think we're actually quite lucky that we've had the cup games recently in both the FA Cup and the Europa League because it, I think that it's taken a little bit away from the quite worrying form that we've had in the Premier League because we have put in some some genuinely good performances in the Cups whether it be the the 3-2 win against Liverpool yeah. you know, we really dispatched of Sociedad really comfortably 4-0 in Turin and, and those two alongside the Southampton game I think have really sort of kept United fans happy um, to some degree I think what we're dealing with I know there was, there was a lot of discussion on Twitter about this after the game I think what we're dealing with here is almost a bit of a an unknown around the the standards against which we should be judging this United team. Yeah. Because I still think despite, despite the performances flag, uh, flagging recently, big picture, if you look at the arc of this team, it's still positive broadly. Yeah. You know, from where we were at the start of the season, we're on course for our first back-to-back top four finishes since Ferguson retired. Let, let's assume that we're going to finish second for a minute, which is by no means guaranteed. But assume we finish second, you'd still ultimately say this season is a success, even if we get no further in the Europa League and the FA Cup. At the same time, so, so if you're judging us against those standards of where we were at the start of the season, top four was the aim, and you're judging us on the, on the basis that we are a top four team, you can, you can deal with some bad performances, some inconsistency, not doing so well in the big games. But then if you're judging us against being title challengers and or against the standards that we showed from October to December yeah. and the sort of team that we can be at our best, 
it becomes difficult to to make these performances feel okay and feel acceptable because not only do we need to be better if we want to be challenging City, but even forgetting City, forget the title for a minute, just holding us to the standard of what we know United can produce. That's when this becomes difficult to stomach because we know, and it wasn't just a flash in the pan because this was over a period of 15, 20 games. We know that we can be so much better than this as we were from October to December when we were probably the best team in the country. Yeah. Yeah, we were. And it was it was very enjoyable, and we um yeah yeah you're right. If if we're, but I mean we came into the season expecting to, or uh, hoping that we would kind of assert ourselves as one of the top four teams, but not in an uncomfortable way as it has been in previous seasons, not like last year. Yeah. And that is kind of what we're doing. That being and I think said, if, you, if you'd have offered um, most most United fans that on the last day of February, we could turn around and say we're second in the league and in yeah. the semi-final or quarter-final of the FA Cup and going into, or it wouldn't want to be in the Europa League. But, you know, th- this position is, is probably one that most United fans would have taken. Yeah, I think the problem the for me is just that the knowledge that, that part of the reason we're second and it comes down to our own qualities, but part of the reason we're second is that other teams have got worse. And there's no hiding that. And those yeah. teams will be better next year. And again, it, it sort of goes back to that that point that from from where do you sort of, from where, where do you set the baseline for this team? You know, because as I said, if you'd have offered most United fans the position yeah. we're in now at the start of the season, the Europa League would be obviously a big disappointment. But I think most, most fans would have been pretty happy with this, especially being second in the league. But if you'd have offered us this position say 10 minutes before we uh, went into the Leipzig game on the last match day of the Champions League when, you know, United were playing very well, were, uh, it looked like, or even if you go back before that, maybe to the, the PSG home game, you know, playing well in the league, unbeaten in a couple of months in the league, mm. then looked like we were comfortable in the Champions League. At, at that point, you say, well, actually where we are now is a little bit of a disappointment. The yeah. number of points we've taken in the ensuing Premier League games, getting knocked out of the Champions League, then losing the semi-final in the Carabao Cup yeah. to City. So it, it, I think it really depends what you judge as, as the baseline for this team. But I think I think it's it's fair to say that recent form is is a worry and hasn't been what we expected. But the you know the position that we're in is still probably better than our expectations at the start yeah. of the season. Okay, we've managed to avoid this next topic for so long that we haven't actually got that much time to talk about now, but the penalty incident, uh, it's such a strange one because as it happened, you thought Grumitan pulled it there. Yeah. Play goes on for quite a while. Then you see the replays and Callum hudson Adore has clearly hit it with his hand in what is an unnatural position. And it's one of those weird ones because as the replays were being shown and as it became clear that he had hit it with his hand and that Greenwood hadn't at any point, that you still had this feeling of this, this clearly by the law should be a penalty, but it felt like, because I think, because Greenwood almost handballed it as well and because the ball was going away from goal and wasn't in, it was not as if someone was about to shoot. It was just people, two players competing for the ball it felt like it shouldn't be a penalty, even though we kind of, I kind of knew it, it should. And then in the end, the VR recommends to Stuart Atwell that it should be a penalty. He goes off and looks and disagrees with them. Um, I'm not sure how. Uh, then after the game, Luke Shaw comes out and says that, and United are now saying that Luke Shaw misheard his teammate, Harry Maguire, 
but said that the referee had told Maguire uh, that if I give this penalty, there's going to be a lot of talk about it, i.e. it's too controversial a decision. Now, that aside, first of all, your perspective on the decision, was it correct or not? It's, it's one of those ones, I think, if, if that had got given against United, I would have been fuming. You know, because as, as you said, it's a completely innocuous situation that was travelling away from goal. To be fair, I think Greenwood's arm slightly knocks Hudson-Odoi's hand towards the ball. It's it's a frustrating one to be given against you. And I I think a penalty is, is far too harsh of a punishment for a situation like that. However, given what the handball law is and how it has been applied over the last few years, especially since VAR has come into the game, it has to be a penalty. That it, That is 100% a penalty given the laws that we have in place. Yeah. Now, the Maguire-Shaw incident aside, what was brilliant, well, not brilliant, what was pleasing is Solskjaer's reaction because it has been since Lampard and Jurgen Klopp spoke about this. I, d- I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist and United have got their fair rub of the green this season with VR decisions. Uh, but since the turn of the year and since Liverpool and Chelsea's managers made those comments, it has felt like there have been continual mistakes made in United games. Obviously, it was a two-goal swing in the Sheffield United game where their goal should have been disallowed and I should have been allowed. There was Maguire, uh, his header on Bur- against Burnley. There's been a couple of penalty decisions. There's been this one. And it, I've been waiting for Solskjaer to fight back a little bit because we know managers can influence referees. We had a manager for 27 years who was a master of the art of influencing referees from the touchline and from the press conference room. So he had to come out and say something and I, I was glad he did. Yeah, I've rarely seen Ollie so fired up in, uh, in press conferences and interviews before, especially about anything sort of outside the team. It, it was a good response. I don't think there there is, you know, I, there, there's always talk about all these theories that referees are, are sort of not, maybe not conspiring, but sort of have a bias for or against certain teams. I don't think there's anything like that going on, at least not consciously, but, you know, of course it, it plays in your mind. And I think, I don't think he probably did say it in these words, as, as Shaw said after the game, that there, that Stuart Atwell told Harry Maguire that if he, he couldn't give this because that it would be talk about so talked about so much. But I think that there is definitely an element to this that referees are, are probably scared. And I think referees have created sort of a rod for their own backs at this point because VAR has been used, I think, to nitpick to such a degree that when you see a decision like this, that to me is a little bit nitpicking, but according to the law is a penalty and then they don't give it. it they don't really have a leg to stand on because you've you've given offside decisions that are far less certain than this. They gave goals. I remember us against, was it West Ham where there was a decision where they gave us a goal where the ball definitely looked like it had been offside. Uh, sorry, not offside, the ball had gone out of play. You know, when, when you get... yeah. When you want to be nitpicky to that degree, you then have to give every decision like this where it's tight or it doesn't quite look right. Anything like that, you, you just have to give them. And it's just a it's a situation where I think everyone involved has, has created problems for themselves because it also comes back to, and I complain about this a lot, but you know, pundits constantly talking about referees more than anything. That's why we don't really talk about referees and VAR yeah. very much on the podcast because what's the point really? You know, the... 
there is so much just yeah. crap basically talked about referees from people that don't really know what a referee's job is. They don't really know the laws of the game very well. So I think from all sides, whether it's the referees, the FA, the Premier League, the people implementing VAR and pundits that just sort of stoke up fury about the situation, then from all sides, it's just been handled terribly. And you end up with situations like this where referees are are sort of caught between, do I keep consistent with all the decisions that I've given and therefore make people fume that VAR is too nitpicky, that it, is stopping yeah. the game from from going on that you know it's getting all these decisions that wouldn't would never otherwise have been a foul or do they they use maybe a little bit of common sense let's say and think well this wouldn't have been given before VAR or it it looks a little bit too tight I'm not going to give it but then you're inconsistent with what you've given before and it's just yeah that's that's the problem isn't it is that the halfway through the season they've decided yeah. that referees can use their brains and it's it's made for well, an, an unfair season, unfair against United sometimes, unfair yeah. against United's opposition lots of times, particularly at the start of the season. And you know what? I, I'm, not, I'm actually not against at all referees going to the monitor, looking at a decision and actually deciding that they made the right decision in the mm. first place. That makes sense to me. But the problem is when for the last year and a half, the way you've been using VAR is the video referee looks at it, decides that it's a penalty and the, the on-field referee just goes to the monitor basically just to sell the decision, to make it look like yeah. they've looked at it. To then all of a sudden recently have started allowing ref- on-field referees to look at the monitor and stick with their original decision, it looks terrible for, to, the, to the outside world because there's no transparency, there's no accountability for referees. We can't hear what they're saying. They don't have a chance to defend themselves after the game. So it, we, it's all shrouded in confusion all, all of the time. And it just changing anything to do with referees within a season is always fraught with danger. Yeah. You said we shouldn't talk about it. So I'm going to stop and we're going to move on to our youth flow and women's <laughs> roundup and then we'll be previewing games against Palace and City. It was a busy week for the Manchester United Academy. The under-23s played twice, first on Monday and then again on Saturday. They were beaten 3-1 by Everton on Monday, struggling to create chances and score without uh, Shuratire, Hannibal, Ahmad or Anthony Alanga. They played quite well, to be fair, um, but 22-year-old Nathan Broadhead scored a hat-trick for Everton to make Charlie McCann's goal irrelevant. McCann had a good week, uh, scoring another two goals on Saturday to help United come from behind with 10 minutes left against Southampton. The Reds trailed 1-0 after 83 minutes, but by the 85th minute, led 2-1. McCann's first was a glorious goal. Will Fish crossed from the right and in one sleek movement, Charlie McCann controlled and turned while airborne before slotting it into the bottom left corner. His second goal, two minutes later, was more typical of him cutting inside from the left and curling a finish into the far corner. And it was a good and deserved win for United. The under-18s played on Saturday too, before the under-23s, but they lost 3-1 to Derby County. United were without all of the following players. Polakowski, Vitek, Gerardo, Camboala, Fish, Bennett, Pai, Fernandez, Federski, Hansen, Aaron, Iqbal, Forson, Wellens, Medjbury, Shuratire, Hugoverf, Emran, Mejia and Hugo. It's a, it's a long list. You get the point. So a very much a weakened side and that those injuries and those absentees saw a remarkable seven under 16 players involved, including 14 year old Finley McAllister, who became the youngest player to represent United at this level when he came off the bench after 21 minutes to replace the injured Eston Hughes. Uh, but yeah, record breaking McAllister. That's a, a record that stood for 80 years. Uh, Charlie McNeil scored United's only goal of the game. That was his 13th goal in 12 games for the under 18s. And he also made his under 23s debut this week on Monday night. 
In low news, Dishon Bernard was named in the League 2 Team of the Week after another good performance for Salford City. Dylan Levitt was on the bench for Croatian side NK Istra. Palistri played a half for Alaves in a 1-0 loss to Osasuna. Andreas Pereira played about half an hour for Lazio in defeat to Bologna. Ethan Laird was named man of the match for MK Dons in a 1-0 win against Oxford United. Jesse Lingard had another good game for West Ham, getting an assist for Antonio's goal against City, even though they were beaten. And James Garner had another great game for Nottingham Forest, scoring his first goal for the club, a decent finish from just inside the area and no game for United's women team this week. Jack, Palace Wednesday, City Sunday. Palace we should be beating. City is, uh, is well, I mean, they're the best team in England and perhaps the best team in Europe at the moment. They're flying and are, well, at the moment they are unbeatable. United will be hoping to change that. Palace is another trip away, yet another game this just incessant football continues. But I think most people will be thinking, well, spending most of the week thinking about how United can possibly stop City. I mean, I think if we if we had the answers to that, we'd be getting paid a lot more than what we are currently in, probably uh, in a coaching staff somewhere. It is the, the ultimate question at the moment. They do look unbeatable. I think we, we can take some lessons from West Ham. I think they... Actually, at the weekend, David Moyes gave us a little bit of a blueprint, I think, in to how to stop City. That was probably the best that I've mm. seen a team defend against them recently. I think they they almost completely shut down City's attacking options. They did really, really well to stifle the space and stop the runs from midfield being a danger. I mean, when despite the fact that City won the game, they were... Uh, reliant on you know their two centre backs getting their goals in the end, which I mean the, the, the stupid stat that Stones and Diaz have scored more goals than they've conceded while playing together now is know, just yeah. ridiculous. But you know I think West Ham really did show us a good blueprint. I think they they played three at the back. They had two centre backs spare the entire time against one one against City strikers and then two centre backs who were sort of spare able to track the runners coming from midfield. Then they kept their wing backs almost man marking the two wide players in. Was it Mares and, and it wasn't Sterling? Was he didn't start? Was it uh, Foden on the other side? I, I can't Foden came off the now. bench, I think. Right, whoever it was that, that started. Um, you know, they kept their their two wing backs pushed up on the the two wide players, and then had Rice and Suchek not man marking, but doing a decent job of shielding that back four. And you know, we we've played five at the back before, and it wouldn't surprise me to see Solskjaer go back to that. Maybe that gives us a little bit more freedom going forward to maybe not play Fred and McTominay in midfield, although we're a little bit limited for options and that Pogba would be the obviously the ideal man to come in there, but he's not available at the moment. It, I mean, it's going to be a, a very, very tough task for us. Obviously, Man City are without a doubt the best team in the country at the moment and are in scintillating form. But despite the fact that we haven't, it's not like we've we've dominated Pep's sides under Solskjaer, but we also haven't we haven't been torn apart by them. You know, I I, I can't think of a of a game. Maybe the first half of the Carabao Cup semi final last year, but in general, you know, I think we've we've done okay against Pep City, and I I actually don't. You know, I'm not saying I'm confident that we're going to win, but I don't think it's as if City are going to run all over us and and you know be three four nil up. By the end of the game, I think we are we have the ability to keep this game close enough where we give ourselves a chance to get something out of it. Yeah, I think you're right about West Ham. They have showed us what to copy. It's it this season's just incredible though, because when you think about preparing for games, 
obviously United have an enormous staff and so many coaches and analysts and people who can spend some time preparing for this while another set of people are preparing for another game. But just in terms of working with the players on the training pitch, it's so limited. It's just all about recovery. So it, I, I guess it really shows which coaches and managers are most effective at getting their message across in an efficient manager by how much they change their game plan from week to week. But as you say, the, the problem with City at the moment is that they they can score goals kind of all over the team, um, just everywhere. You've got that quality on the wings from, well, whoever's yeah. playing, Mares, Bernardo, Silva, Foden, who have all been scoring plenty in recent weeks. You've also got some set-piece quality and John Stones, who has turned into a fantastic finisher of loose balls. Diaz, who's uh, scored his first goal for City, but also is a, a brilliant defender. And then th- this is all without a main striker. And that's, it, it, it's outrageous. And, the and their main is goal threat, Ilkay Gundogan at the moment as well. Yeah, and it's and just De Bruyne just coming back. And it's just how, how do you cope with so many threats at once? Um, but we, West Ham kind of did it and missed their chances, really. Uh, Antonio yeah. scored from a little ling- well from Lingard who was shooting but there were more there was that late header for Issa Diop um, and a, a couple of others as well Antonio so, I mean, had another another chance in the first half as well yeah yeah it, it, it is possible but you get this you get the sense we'll be defending don't you yeah a- absolutely absolutely I think I think West Ham is you know we've we've seen teams run City relatively close throughout not throughout, but at, at times during this win, this winning run. But I think West Ham showed the best in that the game, despite the fact that City dominated the ball, I think the game was the, the closest on balance of any game that I've seen City struggle in during this, this run. You know, there have been games where they've only won by one goal here and there, but in general, it's been, they haven't won by more than that purely because of, you know, missed chances or some bad luck here and there. But West Ham really did, I think, give them a good game and it was a fairly even contest for much of it. And to me, that is the blueprint to follow. Whether you go five at the back or four at the back, I'm not entirely sure, but I think that they showed us a little bit of the way to go against City. You you almost wonder slightly if they may end up being, I don't want to say any team can be worse off by bringing in Kevin De Bruyne, but you just wonder whether him being brought back may upset the balance a, li- a little, especially for Gundogan, I'm, I'm thinking. You know, he'd been probably the best player in, in the Premier League by a, a country mile in the last couple of months, mainly because he'd been yeah. given that freedom to make a few more forward runs off the back of, say, Bernardo Silva or Sterling or Mares, because De Bruyne wasn't in the team and he had that licence to be the, the, the midfielder that could make those forward runs. Do you just wonder whether maybe De Bruyne's return may stop Gundogan's rhythm in that respect? I don't know. You're... Well, it might do, but I don't. I, I, I think it's City is still as good. The, the quality of yeah. the Bruyne's ball on Saturday, yeah, for Stones is just a, or Diaz is going player, yeah, yeah. Um, and... We we should wrap up, but the, the, the Palace as well. Um, obviously, we can't forget about, even though it's yeah. I guess the less dramatic fixture, but it's because Palace aren't a bad team, but they're not a good team either at the moment. <laughs> And they've, they're definitely not a good team at the moment. And maybe that'll come back to bite me. But you, I'm, I'm torn with Bruno Fernandes because he, I can't yet decide whether he's, he's 
just tired or he just needs to find his rhythm again. Because obviously we've seen lots of players in the past who need to play constantly to keep that rhythm. Rooney was one of them who even if he was playing badly, just needed to to keep going. Um, And I can't tell if Bruno's that or if he needs a rest. Um, So, but Van der Beek is back, but I don't know if he's fully fit. But I think it's uh, an opportunity for him to play. Hopefully Cavani will be fit for Sunday. I don't think he will be for Palace, but we'll see. Yeah, he's not back in training yet, Um, so I doubt Cavani will be for midweek. Yeah, but I'd I'd bring Van der Beek in if he's fit enough. I'd be very tempted. It was a real shame that he wasn't fit for the Sociedad game at home because that would have been the perfect time to give Bruno a bit of a rest. Mm. Well, I that mean, whole week actually, because I thought he was perfect for I I I I thought maybe not against uh, Real Sociedad away from home, but I thought for the Newcastle game at home and the home game to Real Sociedad, those, those were perfect opportunities for him and and a perfect chance to play two consecutive games as well and try and find a bit of flow yeah. to his game. And obviously was injured, so that that was a shame. Same with Juan Mata, actually, it would have been perfect for both games. Yeah, I mean, you you can only hope with Van der Beek because he's. I mean, his his confidence just took such a huge blow. It seemed like in the the last couple of weeks, especially after the West Ham game in the FA Cup, you you can only hope that a little bit of time, even if it was enforced time away, would help him reset a little bit. I mean, with Fernandez, it's a tough one. I I err on the side of backing for for all his you know, good and bad parts. The one one thing about Solskjaer's management that you can't really fault yeah. is his man management. And I think you've got to back Solskjaer that he knows what Fernandez wants. And to me, it, it seems, and he's indicated this a few yeah. times in interviews, that Fernandez is one of those players that just wants to be playing all the time, not just because he, you know, obviously he wants to play and score goals and make assists, but because he just wants to have that rhythm. And to me, I can only... Without having any other information, I, I'm willing. I'll give Solskjaer the benefit of the doubt on that one. That Fernandez is is the one sort of pushing not to not to be given too much of a rest. I think it made sense to bring him off at half time against Sociedad. That seemed like it was a yeah. pre-planned, you know, situation that he would come off unless something drastic happened in the first half. So I would I'd be surprised if he doesn't start against Palace. But it does seem like the the game where you would rest him if that's something that Solskjaer thinks would be helpful. Yeah. And I just, I just want to, by the end of the season, I want to have at least given Van der Beek an opportunity to find himself in this United team. And, and I want him, and I want him to play alongside Fernandez. Yeah. Yeah. That's also true. Definitely. But not in the, not in that withdrawn role. You know, that's the, the only time when they've been on the pitch together is when we've been chasing a goal at the end of a game and Solskjaer has thrown Van der Beek on, as a sort of another holding midfielder almost, yeah. which is not where his talents lie. You know, I want to see maybe Van der Beek nominally on the right instead of Dan yeah, James no, or Greenwood ideally, and let I him think, and Fernandez interchange. I, I think a great, I'm not sure who would play with him, but as a two up front with Van der Beek operating as kind of the, the shadow striker, Fernandez behind that. Um, I'm trying to think who would best suit him just to be ahead of Van der Beek. Uh, I mean, Cavani's a, the movement and the the movement of Cavani would probably give him enough space. I feel like Cavani and Van der Beek might be slightly too similar though. I feel like they, yeah. they both want to be coming towards the ball all, all the time. So I, I'd be tempted to, to do that in a game where you, you play a diamond and play him up front with Rashford. Yeah, yeah. I remember when... Because then you wouldn't need Rashford on the left. I remember when we signed him, I thought he'd be perfect with Martial. 
because Martial is his, his movement isn't as good, but he likes to kind of often hang on the edge of the area and kind of some intricate build-up play. He when he's on form, he's good at doing that. Uh, and him driving into the area and then Van der Beek finishing off the chance, but Martial's not in great form at the moment either. Um, I mean, maybe that's something you could envisage in a sort of three slash five at the back if you would could play sort of a, you know, a three of Bailly, yeah. Lindelof, Maguire, then Shaw at left wing back, Wan-Bissaka right wing back, midfield of maybe Fred and McTominay, maybe Pogba in there, Fernandez just in front, and then Van der Beek and Martial sort of as a two up front. Yeah, or even Rashford instead of Martial. I think at the end of every episode at the moment, we're proposing some radical change to United's formation <laughs> just, when we, just when we run out of time. Um, Mainly to get Van der Beek in the, in the side. Yeah, yeah, it's true. I thought a final positive note, Dan James and Mason Greenwood and Luke Shaw, all good on Sunday. And that that's a, I think a good note to leave on. And Greenwood and James are both in, in good form and that's very useful. But uh, thanks very much for listening, everyone. Um, for more from us throughout the week, you can find Jack on Twitter at... At UTD Tate, T-A-I-T. And you can find me at Harry Robinson 64 and the podcast itself at UTD Weekly Pod. That's P-O-D at the end there. And if you go there, you'll find that information on how to sign up to become a patron of the podcast where you pay a little bit of money and get uh, bonus Q&As, extra episodes. We did an episode on the Rail Sociedad game, which I was at. And there'll be bonus episodes on a couple of academy players as well. So if that interests you, go to our Twitter at UTD Weekly Pod, P-O-D at the end there. Otherwise, have a great week. Um, enjoy the football, hopefully. Fingers crossed. See you a bit. Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.